that he would establish it as that. And uh, man, we had some folks born again. We had some folks healed. And um, just the name of the Lord was, was lifted high. And so we're thankful for that. Praise God. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's open them first to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And um, just had a great time with our discipleship class this afternoon and looking forward to just slipping right on into here and doing some teaching tonight, maybe a little preaching, but definitely want to teach you some things tonight. Um, I know I've got you in Galatians 2.20. First verse I want to put on the board is out of Romans 14. So you stay in Galatians 2.20. But the last part of Romans chapter 14, verse 23, it says this, For whatever is not of faith is sin. For whatever is not of faith is sin. Now back in the days when I thought my righteousness depended upon my performance, this verse was a nightmare for me. It, it scared me um, because I knew there were lots of things in my life that I was not doing by faith. Therefore, those things were sin. And, um, but anyway, thank God for His grace. So this verse isn't meant to scare you or make you think that God is being unreasonable or impossible, this verse is meant to give you insight and instruction and wisdom into the life that God created you to live. We were created by God to live by faith, and anything that does not fall into alignment with a life of faith is sin. Now, to understand this verse more fully, you have to understand what the word sin means. And it's the word homardia from the Greek. It means to miss the mark, to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. We often think of sin in terms of the deed or the act or the commandment that was broken. But the life of faith is one that carries us to the life and fulfills the life that God created us to live. So anything that is outside of that life of faith or the pathway of faith is one that is going to cause us to miss the mark. It's a life or a lifestyle that's going to cause us to miss the full scope and true end of our life. So from this we came to this uh, point or this conclusion. Whatever is not a faith is time and effort spent traveling in a wrong direction towards an inferior life. Let me give that to you one more time. Whatever is not of faith is time and effort spent traveling in a wrong direction towards an inferior life. Now, the Bible says that it is a lack of knowledge that causes people to be trapped in life-controlling behaviors. Isaiah 5 and 13 and Hosea 4, 6 says that it's a lack of knowledge that causes God's people to be destroyed. Now we know that Satan is the destroyer. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. So if a lack of knowledge causes God's people to be destroyed, then it tells me that a lack of knowledge makes us vulnerable to the one who is the destroyer, and that's Satan. And Jesus confirmed that in 2 Corinthians 2, 11 when he said, that an ignorance on our part equals an advantage. Ignorance of the devil's devices creates an advantage for him or puts us at a disadvantage to the one who only comes, steal, kill, and destroy. Now, when he says a lack 
of knowledge, he meant a lack of knowledge. And we could very easily say, well, you know, should it not be a lack of faith, Pastor Mark, since faith is so important, faith is the victory that overcomes the world, faith is the means by which we fulfill our purpose and destiny, faith is the pathway that leads us to our best life. Should we not say a lack of faith is what brings the destruction or what, what enables um, you know, these negative things against us? Well, I understand someone may want to make that argument, but the reality of it is, according to Romans 12 and 3, you've been given the measure of faith. So you have faith. So this brings us back to the lack of knowledge. So it's not a lack of faith, it's a lack of knowledge on how to use the faith that you've been given. Are you following what I'm saying here? So this is why even like in the Old Testament, and it still rings true in the New Testament where he says, wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Because again, you, you can have faith, you can have a new covenant with God, all these things, but if you do not have the knowledge, the understanding, and the wisdom of how to use the things that you've been given, they're going to make little to no difference in your life. So we're talking about faith tonight. We're specifically talking about walking by faith or living by faith. And that brings us to this passage in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the first one that I ask you to turn to tonight. And it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I want to pull a phrase out of this verse. And it's kind of like bringing something up on the table, so to speak, to start kind of pulling it apart and looking deeper into it. And the phrase that I want to pull out and pull up on the table is that middle phrase where it says, and the life which I now live in the flesh by faith. I didn't read it right. One more time. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. We need to get this in our hearts. We need to get this in our minds. We need to get this coming out of our mouths. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Now, let's look into this for a moment because there is some insight and practical application here that we need to understand for our own lives. In other words, if this is what Paul understood, it's what we need to understand also. If this is the conclusion that he reached, then we need to reach this same conclusion. If this is the approach to the life that he now lives, it needs to be our approach also. First thing I want to point out to you is, the, is, is that he said, the life he lives in the flesh. The life he lives in the flesh. The life he lives in the flesh. Praise God, I'm trying to find somebody smiling. Nobody's smiling now. Everybody good? There's Paul smiling. Amen. He said the life he lives in the flesh. What's being emphasized here? 
Paul recognized his flesh as being the tent he lived in. Let me say it another way. Paul recognized his flesh as being the tent his true self lived in. Again, the life he lives in the flesh. He's separating himself from his flesh. He's separating, at least in his mind, in his understanding, he's separating who he really is from the flesh that so many people knew him by. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul talked about his flesh in the third person. He said, I will not let my flesh rule me. I will bring it under subjection. So he's saying the life that I'm living while trapped in this body. I know that's kind of a, a leap from where we were, but he's basically recognizing that the new creation he became in Christ Jesus is a creation well ahead of its time. It is, it is a creation that is far superior to the flesh, or the physical body that he is existing in while on this planet. The life he lives now, as opposed to the life he lived before, the life he lives now, as opposed to the life he will live next. Are you with me tonight? He's saying the life that I live now, it's not like the life that he lived before. And the life that he's living now is not going to be like the life he lives in the future. He's in that unique bracket of time. That unique bracket of time in between the day he was born again and the day he crosses over into the next life. He says, it's the life that I'm living now. And now implying a time that will not always be. In, in other words, a, a, a way of living and conditions of life that exist now that will not always exist. And so he's, re he's recognizing the importance of living the only way that a person can live now and have God's best given his current condition. And that is to live by faith. I don't have a slide for it, but turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8. This, this verse really, I think, captures it single-handedly. What the Apostle Paul is saying here, or, or referencing here in Galatians 2.20. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. For you were once darkness, comma, but now... Right? But now you are light in the Lord, period. Walk as children of light. So he's talking about what he once was, what we once were, but that's not who we are anymore. Let me say it another way that's not how we live anymore. 
And I'm not just talking about sin, certainly sin, but I'm not just talking about sin. Paul's not just talking about sin. He's saying, look, I once was sin. I once was darkness. I didn't just commit sin. I didn't just live in darkness. I was sin. I was a sinner. I was darkness. But when Jesus came, He took a sinner and made Him the righteousness of God. He took darkness and He made me light. And because He made me light, I am now light. I was once darkness, but now I'm light. And because I'm light, I will walk, I will live as a son or daughter of the light. Amen. Amen. So he's not just saying that we're not going to sin or we're going to try to, to, to stay away from sin or we're going to try to stay away from darkness. He's saying, no, no we're, we're not that anymore. We've become something else. And because we're something else, it calls for a new way of doing things, a new, a way, a new way, a new approach, if you will, to life. Okay, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn there with me, please. Second Corinthians 5. All right, stay right there, but I'm going to put the phrase back up from Galatians 2.20. I'm just feeling drawn back to it for a moment. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In, in other words, he's saying that the life which I now live in the flesh, I'm going to try to live apart from sin, or I'm going to try to do a better job at not sin. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that because everything about me in my spirit has been made new, it calls for a new way of going about this thing called life. All right? So we've looked at it in Galatians. We've looked at it in Ephesians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. We see that he's basically making the same point here. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident. Say that with me. Always confident. One more time. Always confident. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now last week we spent almost our entire time together on, on this passage and a few more verses that came before it. I'm wanting to try to push on past this tonight. But the context of this is Paul says of the man or woman who's been born again that your spirit has been made brand new And yet your new spirit has been placed inside of an earthen vessel. So new spirit, same body. When 2 Corinthians 5 says, if you're in Christ, all things have passed away, all things have been made new, and now all things are of God. He wasn't talking about your flesh. He's talking about that inward part of you. He's talking about your spirit. So that part of you, again, is 
a completed work that is ready for heaven right now. <laughs> Amen. I mean, however much better the atmosphere is in heaven than right here, your spirit can breathe it right now. Your spirit would not have to be modified in any way to accommodate life at the next level. It's ready right now. And he says that there is a glorified body, a new body, a permanent body, because he called this one a tent, right? A temporary body. He says the permanent body has already been prepared for you and waiting for you in heaven. And so to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Death means separation. When someone dies, their spirit separates from their body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but also to be absent from the body is to step into that new glorified body that's already there waiting for you. That's the context of this. So when he says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. He's talking about that transition when we make it one day. And that God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Aren't you glad he's committed to you eternally? So therefore, he says, we're always confident because of this. <laughs> Think about what he's saying right there. We are always confident. You think Paul got everything right? No. If you read Romans 7, I'll tell you straight up he didn't get it all right. I'm talking about as a born-again man. We know as a before he got saved, the, the mess that he made of things. But do you believe after he got born again, he got everything right? No, no, no. He made mistakes just like you and me. He committed sin just like you and me. Matter of fact, in Romans 7, he said, I don't know why I keep doing it. I hate it. I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. And I keep, keep going back down that road again. In other words, he struggled with his flesh just like you and me struggle. We struggle with ours. That's not a, a pass for him. It's not a pass for you and me, but it's reality. But the point I'm trying to make is that Paul... Given the, the truth, the reality, the revelation that he struggled with things in his flesh, notice he said, I'm always confident. See, the devil wants you to be confident. confident. I mean, well, let me, let me back up a minute. He never wants you to be confident, period. But he will settle for you being confident when you've had about six good days in a row and you're feeling pretty good about yourself and you hadn't cussed anybody out and you hadn't given anybody a universal sign of disapproval for cutting you off in traffic and, and you've been pretty good, you've been coming to church and, and all of a sudden you know, you're kind of feeling pretty good about yourself and about your walk with God and so now you're confident. Then all of a sudden you make a mistake, you bloody your knees, you embarrass yourself, you wet your diaper, whatever. You know. and, and so, but now notice we're not feeling very confident anymore. Paul said, I'm always confident. <laughs> I'm always confident that to be absent from this tent will be present with the Lord. He was confident in that when he was doing great, when he was writing half the New Testament, when he was raising the dead and preaching the gospel, and he was confident in that even when he was struggling with those things in his flesh. It's because he knew that his righteousness was not based upon his behavior but a gift that had been given to him. 
So he says, he included you in this, by the way. He said, we. We are always confident. Father wants you to always be confident in Him. Why could Paul be confident even when he was making mistakes? It's because his confidence was not in his good behavior. His confidence was in the one who died for him and, and gave him... You follow what I'm saying? He had invested his confidence in the, the completed work of Jesus on his behalf. So we were always confident knowing that while we were at home in the body, we were absent from the Lord. In other words, not present in heaven. I'm going to skip number seven on purpose because number seven almost seems like it was inserted after the fact, but it wasn't. It belongs right there. But these things would flow at least... Um, structurally if it read like this so we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body we're uh, we are absent from the Lord we are confident yes well please rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord in other words do you see how those two things work together with one another there the similarities there the comparisons that he's making yes but in the middle of these two related thoughts he the Holy Spirit sticks in between them, for we walk by faith, not by sight. It's the life that now is. It's the life that we're living now. That's what these two connected points are talking about. The life that begins at the new birth leading up to the transition where we put off this flesh and put on our glorified body. Paul said that he does what? In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And so again, you see how the Holy Spirit is sandwiching that in there in verse number 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's how we live in between these two points of transition. Now, I want to break always confident down for you a little more. When the Holy Spirit through Paul was using that, that word confident and then put the you know, the always in front of it. He's not talking about some kind of fantasy. He's talking about the life that Jesus paid such a high price for you and for me to live. Now, when we break this word down from the original language, we come up with two simple phrases that communicate its meaning. First of all, this word confident, it means cheerful boldness. 
cheerful boldness. Again, <laughs> cheerful boldness. Think with me for a moment now. Sometimes very bold people have a tendency to be a bit abrasive. I mean, really bold people can be abrasive, aggressive, and let me throw one other A word in there, annoying. Right? It's like, dude, you know, step off a minute, man. Back up a little bit here. Sometimes people who are very bold can, can, um, can be perceived, at least, as being arrogant. I think sometimes there's a fine line between being confident and being, being arrogant. And so when you take someone who's, who's confident and, and they're bold, um, they can sometimes have a tendency to, to come across as arrogant or at least as being overbearing. Only God could put these two words together. Cheerful boldness. To where on one hand you're bold and on the other hand people actually enjoy seeing you coming. Someone who is cheerfully bold. The other two-word phrase that helps define the true essence of this word confident, always confident, from the original language is courageous confidence. I like that. Courageous confidence. In other words, anybody can be confident until your confidence is challenged. Anybody can be confident until there's an obstacle. Anybody can give the impression of, 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 of being confident and sure of themselves until uncertainty comes into view. So when he says that we're always confident, he's saying that we're always cheerfully bold and we're always courageously confident. When obstacles arise, we don't shrink back but we respond with courage. We, we respond with, you know, we're, we're confident in the Lord. We're confident in who He is and what He's done for us. And so we're going to face these challenges courageously. Now, I was really trying to come up with a way to communicate what this looks like because Father wants you and me to have this kind of effect on people. Cheerfully bold. Amen. Have you not figured out by now that, that you are attracted to cheerful people? And at the same time, we, we like and are attracted to, we may be haters even behind their backs, but we are attracted to confident people. Am I right about this? 
In other words, we admire that in folks even if we may not initially respond to it when we're in their presence. Somebody who carries themselves that way. I believe what he's talking about here are two very powerful attributes that are not only attractive to people, but are influential in people's lives. Cheerfulness combined with boldness. Cheerful boldness. Cheerfully bold. I want you to think about this along these lines for a moment with me, all right? It's the kind of confidence that comes along with inside information. Right? It's the kind of confidence that comes along with you knowing what other people do not know. We were watching a football game together and, and um, I have that deal where you can record a game and then fast forward through the commercials. And so a lot of times when we watch a football game, we're not live. In other words, we may be 5, 10, sometimes 45 minutes, you know, behind what's actually happened. And we were watching such a game and it was kind of tense. But I kept noticing John Mark really wasn't being affected by it. And usually he's, he's pretty chill anyway, but overly chill, right? Well, all of a sudden there's an interception and my team runs it back and scores the touchdown and it kind of changes the whole momentum of the game. And after they do that, John Mark looks over there grinning. He said, already knew that was going to happen. See, everybody else in the room is kind of nervous about the game, about the outcome of the game, but he has information that we don't have. We're tense. He's relaxed. We're nervous. He's cheerful. Because he knows something that we don't know. that's changed his disposition about the outcome, in this case, of the game. I'm ready for us to become so cheerfully bold, so courageously confident that we are frequently asked by people around us if we know something they don't. It's like, dude, what's wrong with you, man? Do you know something I don't? I mean, let me in on it, man. What's going on? You holding out on me? You got news, you got information, you got input, right? This is, this is what it means to be always confident. It's because the Apostle Paul had information that other people didn't have. He knew something other people didn't know. And it enabled him to be always confident. Now, we've talked about the difference between happiness and joy. I know you've probably got that well enough to teach it to your friends and family, 
But happiness is based upon happenstance. The word comes from happenstance. We don't necessarily say happenstance. We say circumstance. But the idea behind happiness is that if things are going on around you favorably, then you're happy. But if circumstances are negative, the happiness is replaced with some other negative emotion. But joy is something that comes from heaven, from the Spirit of God inside of you. Joy is something that comes from the inside out, not happiness from the outside in. So you can have the joy of the Lord in your life um, with everything around you going well, but you can also continue to have the joy of the Lord in your life if everything around you is going bad. If you can understand that, then the confidence that he's talking about here is not based upon what's going on around him, around us, but it's a confidence that comes from walking by faith. Because he has faith that his life has been changed and that he's been given the Spirit as a guarantee. He's always confident. We walk by faith, not by sight. And yes, confident, even well-pleased. said it last week, I'm going to say it again this week. The devil does not know what to do with a man or a woman who's not afraid of dying. Doesn't fear death. Cheerfully bold. Courageously confident. Now, obviously we don't have the time to do it tonight, but if you've got time in the midst of all your other Bible study and Bible reading, spend a little time in the book of Acts, especially in the later part of the book of Acts after the Apostle Paul gets saved. And read about some of his episodes. Read about some of the things that he dealt with. Cheerful boldness and courageous confidence will have you singing at midnight chained to the sewer, the septic tank of the prison floor. All these folks who thought they were something, all these high-ranking officials, all these military officials, all these wealthy people, right? When that boat was going down and they've done thrown everything overboard and they've gotten to the point now that the, the sail, everything that even could steer that ship, I mean, it's desperate, Right? They're all gathered around Paul. Because even in the midst of all that tragedy, even after he told them, if, if you don't listen to me because the Spirit of God has spoken to me, there's going to be trouble. They didn't listen. There was trouble. And now he's, he's standing there. He's a prisoner. Are you understand what I'm saying? He is in chains being delivered to Rome to appear before Caesar. Yet when everybody's back was against the wall, it was the guy who was cheerfully bold and courageously confident that was explaining to everybody what they needed to do and how they needed to do it and what God had said and how it was going to be. And they were all listening to him. And even to the point that they said, well, let's go ahead and just execute all the prisoners so we won't have to worry about them escaping. Right? And the Apostle Paul shuts that down. By the way, he was a prisoner 
and the men talking about executing the prisoners are now receiving instructions from him. Then they talk about abandoning ship and Paul says, abandon it if you want to, but the only people that will remain alive are the ones who remain on the ship with me. <laughs> a cheerful boldness, a courageous confidence. And God saved the day. Amen. Stand with me, praise God. Hallelujah. I get caught up in this and I could just, amen. All of a sudden I think we're back in class and we got two hours. I'm closing it up. Let me just say this, okay? This is where we're going next with this. If you go into a room and there's no light, maybe the power's out or the bulb is blown or whatever. In other words, you can't see, but somehow you've got to travel across that room. It's going to be hard to do that confidently, right? You're going to slide your feet. Compared to if the light was on and you could see, in other words, if, if you had the, the uh, ability of sight, you could navigate that room very quickly, very confidently. Just, just walk right through that, what you need, head right back out. But now, because there's no light, you don't have any sight, very timid, very cautious, very easy, easing through the room, feeling your way around, trying to get whatever it is that you need out of that room. Here is one of the great paradoxes, if you will, about the way we live now in the flesh. To walk by sight in the flesh is to walk shakily, is, is to walk. In other words, the only way to walk confidently in the flesh is to not walk by sight, but to walk by faith. See, how Paul lived before he was born again was by sight. By the way things look, by the way things seem, by the way things feel. That was how he lived. That was what was natural to him. But see, he's not that man anymore. He's become a new creation in Christ Jesus. As a new creation in Christ Jesus, walking by the way things look, seem, and feel is a very non-confident way to live. That kind of life is just trying to figure out what people have done in the past and it's always shaky, you follow what I'm saying? He recognized that the true confidence was only responding to things he could see by the things that he knew but could not see. Therefore, he's always confident, no matter how it looked, no matter how it seemed, no matter how it felt. Walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together this evening. Father, I just, I'm, Father, I see it. You are raising up some very cheerfully 
bold men and women. Cheerfully bold young people, Father. Courageously confident. Father, ones that are looked to in times of crisis, Father. Ones that, that people maybe don't know how to quite put their finger on it, but there's just something about that man, something about that woman, something about that, that kid there, Lord. Uh, always got a smile, always got something positive to say, always looking for the best in every situation, always looking for the best in every person. Cheerfully, bold, courageously, confident, Father. That's who we are. It's the way you created us to live in between these two points of transition. Fathers, we go our separate ways tonight. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us. He's in us. He's upon us. And I ask, Father, that you continue to teach us these things, reveal these things to us, and help us apply them and integrate them into our own lives. Father, that we would be men and women who walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Remember the men's breakfast this Saturday, guys. Have a great rest of your night, rest of your week. We love you. Thank you for being here. You be blessed in Jesus' name.